0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 13th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Many central banks are exploring the possibility of developing a central bank digital currency, or CBDC. To be clear, it's not just digital money. It's digital money that can be programmed by central authorities to only be useful for this or that. It's digital money that can be easily tracked through the financial system. And it's digital money that can be turned off for highly specific users. I spoke with Cato's Nick Anthony about the relevant case of the rollout of CBDCs in Nigeria and the chaos that has since ensued. In the last couple of years, I've had a lot of conversations about CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, and they've been presented largely just as an idea, something that was just past the horizon And things have changed very dramatically in just the last couple of years. And when I spoke with you, I've spoken with Will Luther about uh, central bank digital currencies and sort of the risks that they pose and the fact that, uh, for lack of a better term, global technocrats uh, are are sort of uh, tapping their fingers together excitedly, thinking about, oh, look at all the ways that we can help people. And I put that in... uh, scare air quotes. Um, it, it it has been dramatic, the the shift that has occurred in a short period of time. So putting as friendly a face on it, what did Nigeria try to do with their central bank digital currency? And we should note, Nigeria is a huge country in terms of population.
1: Yes, we're talking about a country with about 200 million people, and the central bank decided that it wanted to roll out a central bank digital currency a CBDC, and the uptick wasn't very good. Uh, People didn't really want it. They preferred to use cash. they clearly saw that they had a problem, they invested all this money, they outsourced it to another company to build it, uh, they needed to spur up adoption, so they started with, they removed the requirement that you have to have a bank account to use it, they tried to open it up because there are so many people without one in Nigeria. Then they tried to take it further when that didn't work, and they gave discounts. If you spent it on transportation, you got uh, a certain percentage discounted as kind of a friendly way to make it more popular. People still didn't want it. So then in December of 2022, last year, the central bank announced that it was going to start restricting cash withdrawals. And around that same time, they also said that they wanted to redesign the currency, the paper notes, and make the existing cash expire in less than two months. It's just absolutely ludicrous that you would try to have this type of uh, transition for, again, 200 million people, except for the fact that one of the larger missions of the central bank has been, and they've said it, multiple times to go towards a 100% cashless economy. And in result, we have not seen CBDC adoption though. Instead, Nigerians are protesting in the streets, protesting outside of the central bank, standing in lines down the block just to get what little cash they can from the banks. It's absolutely unnecessary. And it's just tragic what's, what these people have been forced to endure here.
0: Uh, the word currency has multiple meanings. And of course, it's banknotes uh, and that sort of thing. But it also means like uh, a cultural relevance. And uh, the, the, the fact that those two definitions are for the same word, it's, it's not a mistake. The fact that currency is something that people use. It is customary for people to make use of it, such a dramatic shift seems destined to fail.
1: Yes, it it really is. And we forget about that a little bit. And I'm so glad you brought that up because money is a very social phenomenon. It's something that is sure uh quantifiable we can put it into Excel sheets and and uh, stata databases and the like but when you get down to how it's used every day when it changes hands whether physically in cash or digitally through cards or apps it's fundamentally a tool for people it's a tool of the people and in economics we talk about this a lot as as a challenge with network effects. For any successful network, you need to build out and get enough adoption so that everyone's using it. Everyone knows that they can use it because they're not going to be denied. It's the same problem that we have with new forms of social media. You might have something that is undeniably better than Twitter, Facebook, or the like, but unless you can get a few million of your closest friends to jump over to it, it's not really going to work out. And in the same way, we see that with CBDCs here. People were happy with cash. People were happy with what it was allowing them to do. Albeit Nigeria has other problems with inflation and hyperinflation. I think right now in the range of 20 and 30 percent. But People were able to do what they wanted to do with the cash. And the big problem at hand was that a CBDC came in and really wasn't solving any problem for them, setting aside all the risks that come with it that we've talked about. It also just doesn't solve
0: any problem. You and I were speaking yesterday and I was, you know, picking your brain about what CBDCs, what they are, what they attempt to solve, um... And you had what three, four items? What what are the what are the things that proponents of CBDCs say? Uh, these digital currencies, programmable digital currencies. What what are they aiming to solve?
1: So we've seen a little bit of a, of a laundry list here, but largely the proponents have really promised four key benefits, four core benefits that they say adopting CBDCs are going to change the world by bringing forth these four. And they really boil down to improving financial inclusion, improving faster payments, making monetary policy more efficient, and somewhat uniquely to the United States, maintaining the dollar status as the world's reserve currency. And all of these things sound like great promises. I want to see financial inclusion improved. I want to see people be able to have access to the financial system. The US payment system is really quite antiquated. It's On the back end, it's very old and lags behind other countries. No one listening to this podcast should be surprised to hear that monetary policy leaves a lot to be desired. And The dollar status as the world reserve currency does benefit the United States in a great way. The problem, though, is not the benefits being listed here. It's that a CBDC will not do anything for these. The the simplest ones to, to take up, first off, is just start with the world reserve currency status. That's not based on the technology of the dollar. The dollar's already available digitally, but that's not the selling point for why it's so popular. It's the strength of the U.S. economy, the protections for economic liberties. Even though they can be improved, they're vastly better than many other countries. And it's that type of thing that's going to keep people wanting to work with the U.S. dollar, especially when the competition is, say, the the digital yuan, where China has built a reputation on human rights violations and constant
0: surveillance. One of the proponents of CBDCs uh, who... Lives in China, and has been working on this issue, um, has sort of a weird defense of CBDCs as you know a privacy killing tool, uh, which is of course that has that's an opportunity that exists when you have a central authority that is designing and can withdraw, can take away, can turn off your money uh, whenever. Uh, they see fit. Uh, What is his defense of, of CBDCs with respect to privacy?
1: I was a little shocked when I read this because the defense largely boiled down to people in China right now do not have any privacy. So a CBDC that would violate their privacy is not really a concern because they already know that they can't expect that. And they know that they need to censor themselves in in their talks online or in their transactions with the existing system. It almost boils down to, we don't have a great standard of financial privacy. So this thing that's going to make it worse eh, not a big deal. It's already bad. We're already in a a terrible place. So who cares if we make it worse? And I've even seen that beyond this example. I've seen people push back at my work where I highlight the risks to financial privacy in the United States, where they point out all the... the, trouble we've had with the rise of the Bank Secrecy Act, the third party doctrine and the like. And they say, well, the U.S. is already bad, too, with respect to financial privacy. Who really cares about this? And I I almost find it challenging to even approach that argument seriously, because it really is saying we, we have it bad, so who cares if it's worse, when in reality. We should be striving not to not to be uh, complacent with the status quo of co- this constantly expanding financial surveillance regime, whether here and in China or in China, but instead we should be pushing for the rights that we should have had all along. We should be pushing back to say, we're now at an opportunity in this world where we can challenge this. We can see with the rise of of cryptocurrencies, one of the things that people like about them is to maintain their privacy. And I would much rather see a world where instead of the, the US going after a CBDC to compete with China, that it instead recognizes that people value financial privacy and that's why they want cryptocurrencies or one of the reasons they want them and maybe here's a crazy idea that's something we should adopt into the dollar and have better protections to make it stronger
0: for people who have observed what's happened in nigeria and we should be very clear if you google nigeria cbdc uh if you look at it on twitter or something like that there are there have been riots there have been people killed in the street over the fact that you know their their lives have been so substantially disrupted by these radical changes undertaken at a very rapid pace, perhaps though for Americans who are watching this rollout, they've kind of done us a favor in a sense because this was such a seems like such a boneheaded rollout for such a radical change that uh, Americans ought to be aware that our Federal Reserve and our federal officials are not going to be that stupid when it comes to rolling out uh, a privacy killing technology like a CBDC and uh, that we should be a little more vigilant about uh, getting the same kind of uh, po- uh, privacy invasion mm-hmm. on an installment plan.
1: I, I it, It's sad when there has to be such a high cost to learn these lessons. But I think you're absolutely right that it, it it does show a sort of cautionary tale. And these cautionary tales are just adding up because while it's more severe, or rather, I'd say the most severe in Nigeria right now with what people are having to go through, in the Eastern Caribbean, they have a CBDC as well. And a lot of people didn't really notice this, uh, it, at least in the, the mainstream media, but last year it went down the the cbdc went offline and it wasn't just like 10 minutes of of like when twitter was down the other day or an hour or a day or even a couple days it was down for eight weeks if that happened in the united states or even any other country that's just a little bit larger the ramifications would be almost unimaginable. It's unbelievable that that's even an option, and we can't have a currency system just shut down indefinitely when no one can figure out what's going on. And in the same way with what's going on in China as well, the the level of surveillance that is possible through their CBDC it It should really just send us a clear signal that this is not something that we want in a free society. and it's not something we want in what is an otherwise strong economy because it could very well be the change to stop that.
0: Nick Anthony is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.